0: The low post is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. The Peabody and Emmy Award-winning 30 for 30 film series presents Once Upon a Time in Queens My Old Borough, a four-part documentary event about the city, the swagger and the wild ride of the 1986 Mets, the team that made me fall in love with sports. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconoclastic teams and their legendary World Series comeback, hear from former Mets players and fans including Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Bill Burr, Cindy Lopper, and more. Cindy Lopper's involved. All four parts of Once Upon a Time queens are available to stream on espn plus and the espn app right now i've seen it it's awesome if you like this team watch it if you didn't like this team watch it plus don't forget to check out in the crease the espn nhl podcast with leading experts on the sport hall of fame sportscaster linda cone and national nhl reporter emily kaplan every monday and thursday and kaplan will bring fans their insider perspectives reporting reactions and analysis to the latest headlines and under the radar stories both on and off the ice that's the in the crease podcast listen wherever you get your podcast.
1: And now, The Low Post.
0: Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where it's Tuesday morning on the East Coast, a beautiful autumn-like morning. I don't use the word autumn. It's fall. Don't say autumn. It's fall. A beautiful fall-like morning. We are... A week away, six days away from Media Day, training camps are getting underway. The new season is here to help us preview it with a very big picture outlook about contracts and team building and with an embarrassing New York Jets Sports <laughs> Illustrated cover in the background of his new place. Bobby Marks, how are you?
2: Oh, I'm doing great, Zach. I am doing great. And yeah, that is a, a Darrell Rivas picture behind me from the old, the good old days of Jets football. So... That is not the current version that is on my wall in my office here. Is Revis
0: Island the original Sports Island?
2: I think it is. I I believe that is, and now we've uh, uh, we've transitioned to all different different players, other sports. But I believe he's the first guy that was
0: on an island by himself. Well, Brevis Island was like you put you, – you just it, – it was a deserted island, right? You couldn't throw the ball there. That's, that's hey, you the put, concept. You put, them on, you put them on the best player. Now or? it's evolved to the point where the island is – the for the fans of the player that nobody else likes that's the <laughs> right. island the island of misfit toys right <laughs> S- speaking of i am going through a really bad crisis in my house i can't find my waiters island t-shirt i have a red waiters island t-shirt in gilligan's island font that some delightful people uh, gave to me and i can't i can't find it anyway bobby how are you i'm good I'm getting ready i mean we're a week away from training camp how about that huh Yeah, we're six days away from Media Day, and in a few markets, I think Media Day might have some interesting plot twists that I'm not really quite ready to talk about yet. So let's get on to the piece you have running today on ESPN, which is basically a really interesting piece for NBA nerds like me about how, in the last couple of years anyway, fewer and fewer superstars are entering proper free agency. Since Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant signed in Brooklyn and, and making them now with James Harden, I think, to me, barring some things that we'll talk about sometime, um, the undisputed favorites to win the title this season. We've seen more and more superstars, instead of letting their contracts run out and enter free agency, sign extensions when they have a year left on their deal. So they never hit the market. They stay with their teams. They take the money. They take the bird in the hand. And the thinking is you wrote in your piece, and when you talk to players and agents and even GMs is, they're just taking the money because the money is so big and the security is so important. And if I want to get out... I'll just demand a trade in a year or two or three whenever things turn bad. And the reason the money is so big for these guys, we can talk about it, is they already, these guys were talking about Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, the Nets guys soon. One, one net guy, Kevin Durant, already did it. The reason the money is so big is these guys already make the max. And so the more liberal extension rules allow teams to offer their players 120% of their current salary well for guys already making the max they can't even get to 120 percent of their current salary because that number is so big it's not even allowed but what you can do is lock in the eight percent annual raises that as of now are outpacing the salary cap so you're effectively making even more and more and more of the cap than you could otherwise so guys are just taking the money so my question to you is why does this matter to me as NBA fan? What are the implications of this? Why do I care?
2: Well, th- yeah, I mean, the the title of the article is basically why the days of All Star free agency are over for right now. And a lot of that, the and in the, in the how I came up with that is that I always do this look ahead article. So I did a look ahead to two thousand twenty two, and when I'm doing the free agency, I'm looking looking. Like Zach Levine is the only guy there, right? He's really the only free agent. Maybe we'll see what happens in Bradley Beal. And so you're looking at it and says, "Where did everyone else go?" And you hit it right on the head. Uh, we, since the new collective bargaining agreement came in in 2017, we've had 32 players have signed extensions. These are not supermax extensions. These are extensions like. Um, you, as you mentioned, Kevin Durant this past year, Steph Curry this past year signed an, an extension here,
0: um, 11 this
2: offseason alone. So that is a whopper of a number. And
0: nobody used to sign extensions because you could only sign until this most recent CBA for like 107.5 or 105%. It was not a big enough raise to entice players to, to, to sort of demure on free agency. And by the way, just to be clear, there are two classes of players that are sometimes lumped together. One is the guys coming off their rookie contracts who signed the max extensions. That's Tatum, Mitchell. We just saw it with Luca, Trae Young, Shea Gilders, Alexander. That's one thing we can talk about that. But for the most but not for the most part, essentially universally with one really interesting test case coming down the pike. Those players always re up with their new teams. LeBron and Wade and Bosch did it for shorter so they could be free agents at the same time. Usually it's a four or five year deal. What we're really talking about are the guys coming off their second into their third contracts, right? Yeah,
2: that's the big thing. And, and in the article I wrote about, you know, when Kevin Durant was in Oklahoma City prior to this new CBA, um, you know, the most they could have signed him for was like two years, $45 million right? So because of the restrictions, as far as how many years you can extend the, the percentage increase, if Kevin Durant was under the current CBA rules in, in Oklahoma city, that could have been, you know, four years, $140 million or five years, $178 million. As far as a new deal, would he have stayed? Who knows? Right. We don't know about that. If money would have been the, the tell all uh, tale here, but, um, yeah, I mean, the the CBA with the new rules and the commissioner put it basically blunt that the goal is basically player retention. For players to stay in their own homes, players now can extend after the second year of their anniversary. They can extend for more years. We've seen the Supermax come into um, into play. And, um, and we're going to see this kind of for the next couple of years until probably, Zach, we get a new CBA down the road. And we'll probably see more TV money come in with a new TV contract. And then maybe the Jason Tatum and the Bam Adebayo and the Donovan Mitchell guys who are in year one of their rookie extensions, they might be that next great class to start teaming up, right? When we get, maybe we get a cap spike down the road and those guys are the next group. But for the, for the foreseeable future, for the next couple of years, um, we're not going to see all-stars in free agency. I I, I wrote in there 26 out of the 33 players selected in the all-star game the past two years are under contract through at least 2023, 24. So there's just, we're not going to be flooded. And you mentioned this on, on the jump. And we, and when we talked about it last week where all-star free agency is really only for a handful of teams, right? It's like the big market, the New York's, maybe the Brooklyns of the world's now the LA teams, um, Boston or Beach. Dip- beach. Yep. You
0: got a lump in Beach. Miami.
2: Yeah, and my, of course Miami. I mean, it feels like they're in play every year, even without cap space or with cap space. By um, the way, I'm...
0: I'm afraid to go to Florida, Bobby. I'm just going to just. – I'm just – I feel like my – I just send Miami, and in my head, I'm like the beach, South Beach. I love it. And then I'm just – you know what? Let's just move right along. Please continue.
2: Well, I got my baptism
0: by fire by going to Las Vegas, so that kind of introduced me to what – Oh, my God. I stayed out. I had my ticket booked to Summer League because I was already in L.A. I was going to go L.A., Vegas, and – I had to go to Croatia to meet my wife and kid. And I imagined the phone call because, you know, my wife's there caring for our kid by herself in Croatia. I imagined the phone call where I call my wife. Hey, honey, went to Vegas, screwed around with a bunch of my NBA buddies, got COVID again, can't come to Croatia. Enjoy the parenting. I'll just be up in our bachelor pad uh, for a while doing nothing uh, that would not have gone over very well. So I hope you enjoyed Vegas.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The first phone call I made was to my wife saying, I want to come home.
0: <laughs> that was the
2: first call. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the heat are always in play here and they've got that core locked up for the foreseeable future here, but that's, that's kind of the gist of, of the article is that, you know, that free agency for the all-star level guys, they're not, they're not going out there. They're taking the money. The, the best line of the article is an agent told me was that, you know, basically sign now, ask out later. Right. Like sign now, take your money and then figure out what the situation is going to be two or three years from. now.
0: I'll, I'll go one further to you, Bobby. That sounds like a very agent thing to say to. You. It sounds like a cold hearted, just like back room. Guys are drinking bourbon, smoking cigars, plotting. I'll go I'll go so far as to say this. One team and one, I know of at least one team with the star that was up for this kind of extension who used that as their pitch to the star. Just take the money. If we screw up our team, ask for a trade in two years. Like teams are actually using that. And that's the point of your article is not that free agency, not that players are signing extensions and staying, it's that they're still changing teams. Even after they sign these extensions by demanding trades and not only demanding trades saying, here are the two teams I'll go to, trade me there. And then what you see are these avalanche of trades where you have teams saying, I want to go there. And the team that's there saying, here's all our picks and young players, you go rebuild, we'll take your stars. So to your point, it's not that free agency may be dormant, but players changing teams at the top of the league is very much not dormant. And that's what I'm interested to in digging into. As we've seen more of these trades from Anthony Davis to Harden to all this, if we see more of that, if, if we have more of these guys under contract asking out and getting traded, what does that mean for the league? I mean, I have some thoughts, but what does that mean for the league?
2: Well, I mean, I think for one, I think the league accomplished one of its goals when it from a player retention standpoint, players are staying, but then asking out. I think the league's Washington basically has washed their hands of it and said, well, now it's up to the front offices, right? Now it's up to the front offices. If you were in New Orleans when AD was there or Portland right now with Damian Lillard as far as it's up to the front offices to build a competitive product or a, I don't want to say championship level product, but a team that can go further into um, further into the playoffs instead of just a first round exit. I think the league loves the transaction game. Right, I think it's good for the league. They don't love it when a player comes out and asks to be traded or a player we'll see in the next week doesn't show up for training camp. I think that they do not love. But I think for from a league standpoint, mission accomplished as far as some of the rules of set point have, have no kidding. The league
0: loves transactions. Dude, they moved the free agency deadline from midnight to 6 p.m. so we could have a television show. And now they're investigating teams for announcing deals at 6.01 p.m. so that we could talk about it on our television show. That investigation, by the way, no one's talking about it anymore. It's still going on. And there are rumblings that penalties are coming. I don't—I haven't been able to figure out if those rumblings are true. But just FYI, of course, the league loves the transactions. This is like the, they know July – Well, what what is normally July is the biggest month for NBA traffic, podcast listening, everything. It's bigger than the finals. It's bigger than the playoffs.
2: Well, you're right. I mean, and and going back to the, um, you know, the the penalties. You know, I had heard even, you know, Josh Hart took a while to be signed, and I had heard that you know they were in a kind of a holding pattern because they weren't sure what penalties were going to come by. Do did we need to use them maybe in a signing trade to recoup? Maybe a first round pick, or maybe multiple second round picks. And um, we talked about it when it first came out. Um, shoot, I was in my other house or two houses ago when that when, the, when that came out. And um, but yeah, I mean we're usually those. That doesn't take that long. I mean, when we got investigated by Karolinko in, in 2013, we found out a month later. These, these, this doesn't take you know two months that
0: it, it's taken right now. I forgot about the Carolanco thing. That was the the league was so up in arms about that and he oh, ended man. up just being a complete non-entity. But let's just move on.
2: Um I still have the letter. I still have the letter that um, Michelle Leftwich, who now is at the Hawks, sent me a, a basic saying you guys are clear, but if we find out down the road that you did something, we will come back and get you basically. So, it's a scary process getting investigated.
0: Um so here's here's what's interesting to me is if, if more players are taking this route of I'm taking my money and then I'm going to demand to be traded. And by the way, I've said many times on this podcast, trade requests, trade demands generally don't bother me because everyone's like, oh, it's tipping the scales in favor of the players. It's evening the scales. It's evening the power, the trade leverage scales because teams always trade players willy-nilly all the time. They don't even tell players. And this is just evening the scales out to me. And also – Teams that have traded players, star players, top 15 players, even under the gun, even under a chilled market, have generally done pretty well. Like New Orleans is better off with all these picks they got for Anthony Davis. The Rockets are better off with all these picks and no players, but picks they got for James Harden rather than having those guys walk out the door. But I will say it does create this dichotomy where you have on one side teams that are just gutted and hoarding picks. Oklahoma City, Houston, New Orleans. On the other side, microwave teams who have two or three 30-plus superstars and have traded all of their picks and have an immediate window of, like, now because our future is completely sacrificed. Those are th- And then you have a bunch of teams in the middle that we can talk about. But I don't know if it's good for the league to have more teams at each of those polls and fewer teams that are sort of doing different team-building processes. Like, I don't even know if it's good for those teams, particularly the teams that are hoarding picks because there's just a diminishing return to having all those picks. We've already seen Oklahoma City, two drafts in a row, trade two firsts for one to get a player they want because they just have too many picks. And if, every, if five teams are using that strategy, I mean, Cuban, Mark Cuban was talking about this years ago, then by definition, it's sort of a less effective strategy. So I just... I see the league, it's not told, it's not even close to bifurcated, but I do I do see this like Milwaukee's out all its picks, the Lakers are out picks, the Nets are out picks, and on the other end you have these other teams. What do you, what do you think of that sort of bifurcation? Well, and it's almost and it's almost like,
2: you know, if we ever see this Lillard situation, you know, basically blow up, like, well, is he basically on an island by himself, right? Like what is left out there to trade for him? Um, unless it's going to be teams that are are willing to sacrifice one of their really good players, Boston, for example. I'm just throwing Boston out there for an example with Jalen Brown, for example. But as you said, all the- I'm, I'm
0: on record, by the way, of saying Boston is not doing that. Yeah. But that's that's just... I'm just... That's my prediction.
2: Yeah. I mean, but it's all those middle teams that still have their draft picks that are probably not going to out, go out and get a Damian Lillard type that are retaining those. The teams that... The big market teams, the Brooklyn's, the um, you know, the, as you mentioned, the Lakers, Clippers, you know, teams are tapped out of um, tapped out of, uh, of of draft picks here. So um, I think you are kind of just in a holding pe- period to find out like where we're heading here. Um, I don't want to sound the alarms, if, certainly if you're the league standpoint, but um, but you're kind of have you have the halves, which are the big tiered teams, you have those teams in the middle. And then you have those, you know, those third team, third tier of teams that are kind of are collecting the assets. That's why it makes, you know, the whole Ben Simmons situation challenging, because what team in the middle of the road that has all their picks wants to put their foot in the deep end
0: and basically give up a lot for him? Well, let's let's talk about Damon Simmons before we go back to the CBA nerd stuff. Um uh, the, there's just a whole lot of nothing going on right now on both fronts. Uh, everything's gone quiet. I think the world knows that the Sixers' ideal solution is to trade Simmons for Lillard. Um, Portland does not appear interested in such a deal right now. The Lillard noise is quieted down. Damian Lillard, if if he ever wants to be traded, actually, as you and I have talked about, has an interest in holding off till at least December 15th or January 15th when the Knicks – who I think would very much like to get involved in any theoretical Damian Lillard sweepstakes, can begin trading the guys they signed in free agency. Right now, it's essentially, it's not nothing's impossible. It's very, very difficult for the Knicks to make an actual offer for Damian Lillard. So he has an interest in waiting. The Sixers, of course, have the opposite interest in not waiting because Ben Simmons may not freaking show up to camp and they'd like to wash their hands of this situation. To me, I look, I I, I have not heard, I've heard crickets on both fronts, I think several teams have made offers for Ben Simmons um, that include good-ish mid-career young players, interesting young players, and not enough draft equity for the Sixers. Um, I think the Sixers, you know, when you hear offers like the Sixers wanted young players and four first-round picks from the Warriors and this and that, true or not, I don't I don't know the, the exact specifics of that. Um, it makes you think: well, are they are they going to take? Do they want all these picks? to then make another trade um, down the line for another star player who might become available. I get the sense that the Sixers actually would like to do all of that business immediately. Like they don't want to do, I, I, my, my reading the tea leaves as best I can. I think they want the final resolution immediately. I don't think they want to be in a holding pattern where they, where they're like, well, we just traded an all-star for a bunch of young players and picks. And someday We'll trade those young players and picks for another superstar. I don't, I, but that that obviously could change. But uh, I, I've heard, I've heard essentially it's pretty quiet, right? Have you heard any anything to to the contrary?
2: Not in Philadelphia. I mean, I think what the plan for them is, is is to figure out what happens when Monday comes. What happens when media Isn't day that comes? the
0: plan for all of us? Just what happens when Monday's coming? Just every, every... I mean, I guess there's no weekends for us anyway, but it's like, what what happens when Monday comes, right?
2: Well, for them, it's a little bit more challenging when, when their when second best player doesn't come up, show up for media day as far as how do they handle it, right? How do you handle a, a, a situation that I honestly never have seen before, right? I've seen players miss media day, miss a little bit of opening day of training camp. I've never seen a player essentially hold out of training camp for, you know, with four years left on his contract. Well, and that's what
0: and that's why, you know, this dovetails with the discussion we're talking about, because both of these players have, I think, four years left on it. They may have three guaranteed years and an option. They have a lot of years left on their contract. So in theory, they do not have leverage to say, trade me there. Now I don't think Ben Simmons even cares. the best I can read the Ben Simmons trade landscape is he will go anywhere that's not Philadelphia, so leave that aside, but you know I think that's an interesting theoretical discussion of we've seen players with a year or two left on their contract say, "I want to go to Brooklyn and get themselves to Brooklyn." This is a different kind of test case because of the years on the table. I want to go back to the free agency thing here's why i don't I don't think I don't think. Free agency feels dead now. I actually don't believe it's even close to dead. First of all, the Nets thing happened like yesterday in the scheme of life. They got Durant and Kyrie in free agency, like basically yesterday. Um, the other thing is, I mentioned those microwave superstar teams, right? Well, what happens when those teams get old and not and not good anymore? They don't. They've already sacrificed a lot of draft picks. Now you get, start getting those back after you've forked the earlier ones over. But a lot of those teams, I think, are gonna walk right back into free agency with like I think in two or three years there will be another team that clears fifty million dollars in cap space and signs a couple of stars. Like I just don't buy that free agency is 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 dead for all that long, really. But I do think that sort of bifurcation is interesting. And to me, I I think the more interesting group of teams is those teams in the middle who are good and building and have at least one superstar building block have most of their picks and have the sort of optionality of going in different kinds of directions. And that to me is like Atlanta, Dallas, Memphis, Denver, although Denver is traded first for Jeremy Grant and now Aaron Gordon, that, that, that group of teams is interesting. And to your earlier point, two of the ones I just named Atlanta and Dallas have superstars like legit superstars just starting their second contracts or about to start their second contracts. And they need to look at this landscape that we talked about of guys demanding trades and saying, it, 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 do we have to, do we have to build a little faster to appease those guys before that becomes an issue going into the third contract? I think Atlanta has done that very well. Dallas has done it. Okay. We'll see how they move going forward. But we, we talked about with Anthony Davis, how the Pelicans rushed the process and they blew all this money and it didn't work. It it's a really hard line to thread, but right now those teams are in neither pole. They're building nicely right through the middle, and I'm interested to see how they keep that up. Well, and then you've
2: got basically New Orleans kind of trying to get to that level, right? I mean that's the that's the end goal. You know, certainly we've got Zion going into um, you know an extension year next year. Atlanta is fascinating just because they spent a lot of money and they've got young players in Cam Reddish and they've got young players in DeAndre Hunter. And they've got all their draft picks to go out and make that next big deal, right? Dallas is is interesting because once that pick to New York is is conveyed in 2023, likely, like they're they're free to move a lot of different picks, right? Um, and Porzingis is going always going to be the X factor, right? Like Porzingis is will be the X factor. I mean, you got to get him back to kind of where pre you know pre injury Porzingis, um, and then there's there's New Orleans, right? Zion, I've never bought into the whole notion. Well, he's just going to, he'll sign the
0: qualifying offer. See, I was going to ask you about that. You, you, you poo poo, you poo poo it, Bobby March. I do. There's
2: just not a a track history unless he wants to be the first guy. Does he want to be the first guy that does that? I mean, here's the thing though qualifying offer now with this new cba is high it's not six million dollars. it's a 17 million dollar number so i have
0: been saying since the Kawhi paul george thing and since general soreness ran rampant in minnesota and lit the whole organization on fire and since kyrie irving reportedly threatened to skip training camp in cleveland at the very least until they traded him i've been saying the end game of all of this one of the end games is someone sometime is going to take their qualifying offer or at least saber rattle ahead of that deadline to get out of a situation he doesn't want to be in. You've said right away, no superstar's ever done that. That New Orleans is gonna throw, I don't even know what the number is, Bobby. 181, it's a, 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 181. 181, whatever it is, yep. 181 million bucks. To, to turn that down and take a 17 million qualifying offer, assume that yes, I'll stay healthy and I'll essentially recoup all that money on my next contract, is it is certainly a risk it would require extreme confidence in the player's health or that a market will be there as we've seen with Kevin Durant despite a devastating industry and it would require an off-court stream of income so big that they are willing to take that risk look the Zion buzz has been out there for a, a year now of like is he unhappy or is his family unhappy Look, I think there's a lot of divided intel on that um and I don't really want to wait too far into it because it's, it's murky. It's hard to tell. But objectively, he is the best test case. He is the best candidate to do this in NBA history. You poo poo it though. You just don't see it.
2: I, I don't. But I will. The, what I'll what I'll do is I'll leave the opening here based on what I talked about earlier. There's going to be a new CBA, right? There's going to be. There's going to be this TV money. There's going to be a new TV deal coming down the pike here. You could be looking at that and say, you know what? I'll do that $17 million qualifying offer, and the cap is going to jump at such a number that I will be able to recoup that 181 number in that next contract.
0: When you say the words cap jump or cap spike, I just imagine <laughs> all of these people in Oklahoma City oh. like throwing things at the wall. <laughs> Or just like uh, just involuntarily vomiting wherever they are. I just I'm sorry. It does need to be. That, but on the other hand, I I, I picture Bismack Biombo like raising a glass of champagne and Timothy Mozgov on the beach with like, kicking his foot up, kicking his feet up somewhere.
2: Yeah, I, I think of uh, Langston Galloway and Joachim Noah and the whole uh, crew of 2016, the whole Caps
0: crew. I love those guys. Uh, and good for them. They made money. And yeah. They're good. They and, sure they're, and by the way, you know, they're, they, they were, were not successful on those contracts, but they're, they were – to get to that level, you're a damn good athlete. I mean, you know, people think – I, I, I really have become wary of that. This guy stinks and that guy's awful. Nobody in the NBA stinks. No, they're all no, really good.
2: No. No. they. I hate I, – I will not do that. I mean, they got here for a reason,
0: right? By the way, the Hawks – so to your point about where the Hawks are heading – and how that cap spike actually could, if there is one, you know, I, I would hope that there's some smoothing mechanism yeah. that they didn't do last time. But if there is, there is going to be a jump of some kind. I wonder if they look ahead and say, hmm, I wonder if we can keep more of these guys than maybe we think. Because if we can get them on good deals, maybe the tax bill won't be so bad. But everyone looks at Reddish, right? It's like he's the odd man out. He's the one they'll trade for a future pick. I don't know if you can pay. I, there may be another one that has to go. Because you're talking about Capella? Just got extended, 20, 20 to 25, something like that. John Collins just got five years, 125 or whatever it was. Trey got the max. That's three. Herder, Hunter, Reddish yet to yeah. be paid on their next contracts. That's six. You just can't pay under the current regime. You can't even pay five guys the kind of money that all those guys are making or are seeking to make. So I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily just Reddish. Who all the focus has been on? By the way, as soon as he came back in that Milwaukee series, he was like, oh my God, Cam Reddish, like, here's the here's the guy we've been waiting for. Um, so TBD on Atlanta. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Pelotons, varying class lengths, were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. I went for the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Let's talk about you and I and others have done some reporting on that new CBA. By the way, yeah. both, both sides can opt out of the CBA in December, I think. Um, I think it's December of 22. December of 22? Okay. Yeah. Well, at some point they can opt out. Yes. Um, or signal their intention to opt out, whatever it is. We've done some reporting about changes specifically to combat, counter, so whatever word you want to use, this trend of players signing extensions and then saying trade me. We've already seen rules like you can't be traded six months after an extension, all that. What kind of stuff, what kind of ideas have you heard being kicked around the league that, that I think teams will absolutely pitch in the next CBA talks?
2: Yeah, I mean, what what the league does is once, once the the, the the 2017 CBA was signed. They basically now they've kept a notebook for the last four years of things that can be, be changed. They've begun to ask teams in the past year to submit potential um, you know, rule changes that they would like to see. One of the things that a couple teams have submitted is, you know, do we tweak the Supermax require um, rules of the Supermax year? Where, you know, maybe we take away the um the all NBA defense MVP achievement criteria and and put it at you know the, the you know the 30 percent number for guys in seven in their year seven or eight here what but with a caveat if a player gets traded let's say if you are John Wall and you are a supermax guy making thirty five don't don't
0: don't use John Wall. Don't use John Wall. <laughs> you you let's use let's use um let's use let's just use player X player X who's awesome and 30 and is on the supermax and decides he wants to be traded. I don't want to name a player because the fans of that. Yeah, that's true. That's,
2: that's especially with John, everything going on with, um, with him and everything like that. As far as that, if that player is traded, um, you know, does their, their salary basically go back to the original percentage, which would have been, let's say 30%. Okay. So essentially, I've
0: signed the supermax, and and I think to go so the, the proposal that you and I have both heard is I sign the supermax, I'm making thirty five percent when normally I'd make thirty percent. So yep. and that's like a, a sizable chunk of money every year. As a, as a reward for signing that supermax, I get a no trade clause. That's and I get a no trade clause that under some of the proposals being submitted lasts almost the entirety of the contract until the last year. On the so I can say no to a trade. You try to trade me, no thank you. The flip side of that is if I go to you and say, I'm out, trade me, I go from 35% to 30% because the point of that 35% is I stayed with you. If I'm not staying with you, I go down. I got news for the league. The players' unit ain't gonna (laughs) like that very much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
2: I would say that is a a definite no. They're not. Anytime you see money that you've already have that eventually you're going to be taking away from you. That is a uh, almost like a uh, a deal breaker from from your uh, from the player standpoint. So, I would see that not going through, but that's kind of what teams are thinking as far as tweak as far as tweaking, you know, the Supermax rules here.
0: And i even heard a couple of guys on teams to wonder, I wonder if that would backfire in the sense that Players would then not even sign those supermax deals because they're like, "Why bother? If I'm going to demand a trade and lose money, I'm not going to sign it anyway." And it sort of creates even more player movement and less retention, almost by accident. Now you could game these out years and years in advance. We don't really know what's going to happen, but I, I did. I did think that was interesting. The other thing is the current extension rules are are. It was. I think it's great that the league and the union agreed to make it easier for teams to sign players to extensions because I think it's good when players stay with their teams and they're happy and the teams have done well around them uh, on the other hand um the 120 percent limit almost punishes teams for signing guys to what turn out to be value contracts and almost punishes those players by making them wait super long to sign extensions because 120 percent is not good enough and the poster guy for that right now is Zach Levine the Bulls should be able to sign Zach Levine, who currently makes like nineteen a year, to an extension. They can't. They couldn't unless they opened up a gargantuan amount of cap space, which is going to hurt their team. Zach Levine should be able to sign an extension now at his true market value. He, by the way, he tore his ACL. He, he probably thinks about that every once in a while. But the Bulls just can't do it because they cannot. One hundred twenty percent is way below what he perceives. I think correctly his market value as. So he's got to wait till free agency. And once you're in free agency. All bets are off. everything could go haywire between now and then. So you've you've written you you've reported and I've reported about rules that maybe we broaden extensions even more to eliminate that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, so for Zach and actually, you know, teams are calling it the, the Zach Levine rule as far as tweaking the extension rules for his case, as you mentioned, the most he can make an extension is like, you know, 105. It's a, it's a, it's a hundred million dollar difference between signing an extension and what he could potentially earn in Chicago. The reason is because it's a 120% increase. So, so what teams are saying is, well, wait a minute, why can't he just sign an extension for 30% of the salary cap, which equals his years of service? Okay. Jumpstart the process early. Um, why does he have to wait until, until next year? And as you said, it punishes, you know, his his number was on an um, an offer sheet that Chicago wound up matching. It punishes teams and punishes players who are on team friendly type contracts here. And I could see something like that. I, if I'm the league, I'm not. I'm saying that's fine with me. It's at the team's discretion. If, I, if you're the players' association, you're saying great, more money for that player.
0: It also hurts teams on the other end where um, I sign. I have. Let's let's just say you know uh, I, I have a player making thirty five percent of the max already. He wants an extension. Um, I I sign him to an extension at the most allowable money, which is the max, but with eight percent raises. Then I run into a five year period where the salary cap goes up by three percent every year. So all of a sudden, this thirty five percent guy is making thirty eight percent, forty two percent, forty three percent. He's thirty five years old. He's declining. Um, setting the extension so that it just stays at 35% the entire time, 35% of the cap. So your raises mirror the cap. I think that's another idea that would be under consideration. That the players union would also not like very much, but still.
2: Well, it's better than what it is right now. I mean, it, 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 for, for the for the most, I mean, the rule is, the rule as one team told me, it, it's been a game changer basically just because you you have an idea if a player is going to stay or if you're going to have to move him down the road where you couldn't have done that prior to uh, this new CBA. And, um, you know, if, if you're going to tweak it, you're right. Maybe you leave it at that percentage number.
0: Well, and, the, and one of the reasons that I think that's an interesting discussion is I've, I've written about this. I wrote about it when the Bulls traded Jimmy Butler. I just, look, you can tell me all the stuff about teams should know better and and make wiser decisions and be cold and calculated about it. There's just something perverse to me about a system in which great players, Hall of Fame players, become albatross contracts that just cripple teams when they're 34 or 35 years old to the point that teams began bailing out of those players before they even signed those contracts like Jimmy Butler and DeMarcus Cousins pre-injury and to some degree Paul George uh, in Indiana, although that was a complicated situation. And then you do see like... I, again, teams have managed to escape some of these contracts unscathed. Like Oklahoma City did well with Westbrook. The Wizards didn't even do that badly with John Wall. So maybe I'm making much ado about nothing. You know. The, but you know, the Clippers getting out of Blake Griffin, they did well to do that. And then, of course, these guys end up getting bought out down the line. There's just something wrong to me about uh, – I don't know if it's wrong. There's just something that feels icky about those teams being like, man, we love these players. They've been great to us. They've accomplished incredible stuff for us their contract sucks and we need to get rid of it. There's just something, and I don't know what the solution to that is. I've pitched, pitched a bunch of ideas that are all very complicated, like maybe there's an amnesty provision once every 10 years for those kind of players. Maybe you, maybe you get tax relief. Maybe there's other stuff like that. But I, there's, something, there's just something wrong about like, a, a system that almost discourages teams from wanting to pay their players the maximum amount for as long as possible. Well, maybe that maybe we change the, the no trade rules, right?
2: I mean, basically, the no trade clause and for a player to have a no trade clause, he's got to be in the league for eight years and be with that team for four years. There's nobody in the league that has that right now. I mean, we see it a lot with Major League Baseball, right? Where a player has a no trade clause and he basically has in his contract or maybe at the time, here are the five or six teams that I would go to. So maybe there, we get to a point and I'm sure the league will fight it. Is that we maybe we we tweak the no trade clause where it's more, you know, it's more allowable for when Blake Griffin signed his contract in with the Clippers. Maybe they can't turn around and trade him four months later, right? Maybe it's maybe it's an a longer period of time. Maybe it's two years. Maybe it's maybe it's two years. Maybe it's not the life of the contract, but maybe it's a little bit longer than what it currently is.
0: Uh, Let's change gears for five minutes. I asked you to pick one team. That you feel strongly about in a happy or sad direction compared to what the Vegas national whatever consensus is. Please identify said team and whether you are happy or sad about them.
2: Well, I am going to say and and the people in Boston are probably going to fall off their chair right now when I say the Celtics because I love their bench. And I'm I'm even going to. I hate predictions, but I'm going to say the Celtics are the third best team in the Eastern Conference. Boom! There you go, right? Behind uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee in whatever order. I'm not ranking those two teams. I don't want Milwaukee. I'll rank
0: in. them. I'll rank them. <laughs> Brooklyn one, Milwaukee two. All right. There I rank them.
2: I, 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 like, I like Boston. And I wrote – I have this big training camp article coming out next week on all the, the X factors for every team. And Richardson, Josh Richardson, Schroeder – Ennis cantor we'll see who comes off the bench I don't know we'll see what happens with Horford. they are young guys they still have with Pritchard Grant Williams Naismith um Romeo Langford we'll see what happens with him. I think in a regular season depth is the key. I love their bench that's the, then you still have you know you still got Tatum Brown and you know certainly smart maybe a healthy Robert Williams that alone on paper. I'm willing to put them as a third-best team in the Eastern Conference.
0: I wish it's more fun when I can yell at people and say that they're wrong or have fake arguments with them. Boston is on my I'm higher than consensus on Boston for most of the reasons that you that you listed off. I just think they're deep. The, the power of just playing no below-average or super below-average NBA players in the regular season is really, really strong. We've seen it before with Toronto. Um, and, and I think Boston is going to be like that. Uh, I think their starting five is going to I think there are four starters set in stone, Smart, Brown, Tatum, and Robert Williams. Robert Williams, to me, might be the single biz, biggest X factor in the entire NBA over the next couple of seasons. That sounds like an exaggeration, and probably I could come up with some players who are bigger X factors than that if I cared to think about it instead of proclaiming this in this very dramatic way. He has the potential to be a monstrously good player if he can get his defense under control, get his footwork under control, harness some of his skills on offense. The, the question is, who's their fifth starter? I, if I had to put money on it, I would bet they start Horford at the four and then make Horford their backup five and Cantor sort of their emergency center. I like Aaron Nismith. I thought he showed interesting signs last year. Schroeder off the bench is a really good bench player. We've seen it. I just think they have a lot of really good play, a lot of good, solid players and two legit all-stars. Um, and defensively, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Robert Williams. Smart, Brown, Tatum, Richardson, Robert Williams. Those are really, really strong defensive lineups. Like This should be a top five or six defensive team with with two really good creators on offense. I think, I'm not ready to say Boston's third, but I I will say, I think they're way closer to third than they are to the play-in tournament. That that, that would be my, and it would not surprise me at all if they were third. Third, by the way, means Bobby Marks. Better record than Miami? I think yep. they'll have a better record than Miami. Better record than Atlanta? Tight. Better record than Philly? Who the hell knows who's going to be on Philly? But I'm, I'm with you. I think Boston's going to be solid.
2: I, and I just think, you know, I thought the, the weight of the world was on their shoulders coming into this, this past, last season. Coming off a you know what, conference finals, um, the expectation level, and then you have a little bit of, you know, some injuries, some turmoil. Um Fresh start. A a whole lot of COVID. A whole lot of COVID. A whole lot of COVID. It's a fresh start for them.
0: And by the way, their team, speaking of um, free agency as a useless endeavor for lots of teams, they're a team that extended Marcus Smart, extended Josh Richardson by a year. I think they've signaled for now, we're a trade team. When when the trade pieces come up, we're, we're, when the pieces become available for interest, we're going to be a trade team. We're not going to be a free agency team. We want to keep this continuity together. We want to keep what we have together. Build around toughness, and we'll figure out the rest later. We think all these contracts are tradable. Boom and done. Yeah, I mean
2: it's almost like kind of what New York was able to do. I mean you've got Richardson for another year. You still got all your draft picks. You've got Smart extended. Um, you got your two core players here. So when that next big guy comes available, you're sitting in a good spot.
0: Bobby Marks, uh, just an absolute machine. I'm sorry, the Jets suck. Do they suck? I think they suck, right?
2: Well, I guess if it was in the NBA uh, stages, you know, I say I guess we're retooling, right? Is that the polite way to say it? But when you're when you're the number two pick in the draft, those four quarterbacks, I don't know how much retooling that is.
0: I have no idea what you're talking about anymore. I just know that I hear people (laughs) laughing at the Jets, and all
2: I know is that Sam Darnold and Carolina is doing pretty good right now, and we know what happened
0: there and as a lapsed mets fan i'm at least vaguely aware that the mets are a complete cluster so Nets, Jet, hey, Mets, Jets.
2: Thank, thank Mets. God for the '86 series that was on ESPN.
0: Oh, I was watching that. I was watching that on the on the Peloton the other day. Just loving. I mean, that was the team that made me fall in love with baseball. It made me fall in love with sports. Eight year old me did not know everything that was necessarily going on behind the scenes and on you the didn't team. Know about plane that flight
2: coming home from Houston.
0: I didn't really know any <laughs> of that stuff. I just knew I loved the Mets. I hated the Cardinals and I hated the Astros. And I know that the Mets have had quite an embarrassing year this year. And I know Jets, Mets tends to be like a like a pair, right? Like a lot of people are Jets and Mets. And Nets. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, well, the <laughs> Nets are great right now. It yeah. just hasn't been that great. All right, Bobby Marks, I'll see you soon, buddy. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, let's welcome in, because I had... The wonderful idea to preview one of the most interesting teams to me in the NBA this year, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And as so often happens to poor small market teams in the NBA, a discussion about the nitty gritty of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Jared Vanderbilt and Jada McDaniels and who's going to start at the four. And did Josh Okogie learn how to shoot? How is this team going to balance defense and shooting? Oh my God, Chris Finch is the coach. Remember that guy when they hired Chris Finch when he was the coach of the Raptors? Let's get into the Minnesota Timberwolves halves. Become a podcast that will be a, partly about Ben Simmons, but uh, to help us go through that, the guy who knows the turbo was better than anyone I know uh, from the Athletic, John
1: Krasinski. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Zach. Thanks for having me. This is great. I've been uh, looking forward to this, and uh, let's have some fun today.
0: Let's have some fun. That's a great attitude towards yeah. life. I, sh- I should wake up in bed. I should wake up <laughs> every day in my bed. Just say, let's have some fun today. Play like a champion today. Um, so, uh, John, about 30 minutes ago, Adrian Wojnarowski, my colleague, tweeted that uh, Ben Simmons is not going to report to training camp firmly, about as firmly as one can say this, and intends to never play another game for the franchise. Woo! Now, on the one hand, we already kind of suspected that all of that was true. We don't even know if it will end up actually being true, uh, but... It, it, I talked about the Simmons situation with Bobby Marks in the first part before Woj's tweet. We talked about how there had been kind of crickets on the Ben Simmons trade landscape for quite a while now in terms of nothing close to a deal. Uh, now I think we should re-up that discussion. And it's fortuitous that you are on because the Timberwolves are one of the teams that I think have most seriously kicked the tires, sniffed around whatever metaphor you want to use uh, Ben Simmons. And I think that actually makes a lot of sense for their team. I haven't seen it. I don't know that there's been a realistic trade proposal made by the Timberwolves, one that would be amenable to the Sixers. But what you wrote, you've written about this several times. Is is there I was going to say, what's
1: the latest? Is there a latest? Where do we stand Minnesota Simmons? Well, I would say, Zach, that I think the Timberwolves have quietly been waiting for this day to happen in terms of Ben Simmons camp or reporting really reemerging to strengthen the idea that, Simmons isn't coming and that any ideas that the Sixers have about trying to kind of ride this thing out and claw back some leverage are uh, going to be a lot tougher to pull off. And so the Wolves have lived this with Jimmy Butler. They know how this whole passion play goes. And so they want to see, and I think many teams around the league want to see this situation in Philadelphia get as uncomfortable as possible, as quickly as possible, because to your point, Zach, I don't know that there is a super easy, clean deal that the Wolves have to make, an offer that they have to make that just says, okay, let's do this for Simmons and get going. This isn't Damian Lillard. This isn't Bradley Beal. They don't have those kinds of of assets to offer. And so they need Daryl Morey's price to come down a little bit. Maybe this will help in that regard. Maybe it won't. But they are kind of sitting back and sort of biding their time and wanting to see how ugly this thing gets and how much pressure kind of comes around internally on Daryl Morey, on the Sixers to make a move to where maybe they end up taking a little less than they want to, just like the Wolves took Robert Covington, Jared Bayless, Dario Saric for Jimmy Butler. No draft picks back in the day.
0: Yeah, the Wolves want the Sixers to make a trade as bad as the one the Wolves made. Uh, Yes. There's some poetic justice to that. (laughs) So when Simmons... The the Obviously, the second that Simmons passed up the dunk and dished off to Matisse-Thibault under the rim in Game 7, we've all been making up Ben Simmons' trades. And really, we've all been making up Ben Simmons' trades for longer than that. But it became a little bit more urgent at that moment. And the first podcast I did, I went through all the usual suspects and I said, you know, a team that I think makes a lot of sense for Ben Simmons is Minnesota. And I pitched, I pitched the rights to Ricky Sanchez, guys. I think I had Spike and Mike on. I said... D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, some draft assets, Ben Simmons, boom. They didn't like that trade. And subsequently, I've seen Minnesota people pitch, I would say, a much lesser package than that. I think the most popular iteration I've seen is Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniels, some picks for Ben Simmons. I don't... I just don't see how you, that works for uh, Philadelphia at all, unless you're getting like four unprotected first-round picks, four unprotected pick swaps, or the entire draft bounty you can get, and maybe not even then. And I like Malik Beasley and Jada McDaniel's as players. Um, is either one a a, a locked-in starter in the NBA right now? Maybe, maybe not. Um, it depends where your team is at. Is that is that realistic? Like, what is Minnesota when, when the pedal hits the metal? Whatever. Like, what are they
1: actually willing to do here? Yeah, it's funny because you know the league, Zach, and and you know what other GMs say uh, around the league about having negotiations with various front offices. And I think that something that Daryl Morey and Gerson Rosas have in common, other than their Houston roots, are you hear stories all the time about other executives picking up the phone and getting offers from them that aren't necessarily the most realistic. And so I think that, you know, the it, it's been a bit of a Spider-Man meme kind of thing going back and forth between Rosess and Maury early here. Maury wants Kat and Edwards and all the picks and, and everything, and Rosess wants to give him Jake Lehman and two protected second round picks. And obviously they have to meet the Wait, 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 wait. You think you wait wait? Wait, 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 Cat? No. was that a this- real thing? I don't think that's a real thing okay. in terms of like, but I, I'm speaking hyperbolically, but I do think that the the asks on both sides, the ask and the offer have been woefully short um, in in comparison from both sides. But um what i what do I think the wolves would ultimately be willing to pick? What I do know is Carl Anthony Towns is off the table. Anthony Edwards is off the table. Gerson Rosas, I think has made it clear that he wants to pair Simmons with Russell. But I mean, then you're getting into what the heck are you really offering? And so um, does Philadelphia want D'Angelo Russell is the real question, because that's the the money part of the thing that would make it work financially. And you could actually argue that, hey, maybe Russell and Embiid kind of fit a little bit uh, with the shooter and the pick and roll doing those kinds of things. But uh, I think ultimately at the end of the day, you give him truth serum. Um, I, I think the Wolves would probably begrudgingly put Russell into a, a deal along with Picks, along with Jaden McDaniels, who I think is a really good young player uh, that will eventually turn into a starting caliber player, but maybe not there yet. And But ultimately, really, they've, they've been looking for a third team to try and kind of give Philadelphia more win now assets that that open their championship window even more. They have not been able to find that. Yet, and that's been the big challenge. I think the Timberwolves know that Philadelphia is is cold on the on the offers that they've gotten from the Wolves so far. So they've been combing, trying to find third teams, and so far that has been uh, a very difficult process. So uh, when it gets down to it, I could see the Wolves including multiple first round picks to try and entice the Sixers into saying, well, we can't get Damian Lillard now, but if we get Timberwolves first-round picks, maybe we can eventually flip those for Lillard, for Beal, for someone else. But that's a stepping stone deal that I'm not sure that Daryl Morey will have the patience for.
0: Yeah, I said this with Bobby earlier. My hunch is this three-team deal construction and the idea that I can get the young, young players and picks from Team A and flip them for Superstar from Team B. I, I don't really see one of those that's actionable right now, and I don't think Philly... Wants to live too long in that in between space where I'm. Ha- I have those young players and picks. They're on my team, and I'm waiting for superstar X. Now that could change because the NBA changes every freaking day. There could be a new unhappy superstar in two weeks. There could be the trade market could be robust with them in two months. But I, I think with Joel Embiid in his prime, locked into the supermax, I think Philadelphia would like to get it all done in in one fell swoop. Now I can say this, I. The Sixers guys, the rights to Ricky Sanchez guys, I should say, not team employees, um, scoffed at my Beasley plus Russell plus picks offer. I actually think that's that's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like Malik Beasley. Average 20 points a game in the NBA. He can really shoot. He can shoot off movement. He can handle it a little, a little bit. I have never been a big D'Angelo Russell guy. I think there's some empty calories baked into his recipe, so to speak. But I do think he's an okay fit with Joel Embiid. The exception being you're now getting to the Utah point in your team construction where you're you're putting the entire defensive burden on one guy to, to have a competent defense, and that's Embiid. And we saw that fall apart for Utah in the playoffs against the wrong matchup. I think that's dangerous, particularly given Embiid's health history. Um, but I, I don't think that's a, a bad offer. I, I also, on the flip side, I just don't see an avenue to the Wolves getting... Ben Simmons in a two-team trade without D'Angelo Russell being involved, even then it may not be possible unless there is a third team and a gazillion picks are going out and about in this trade. I just, like Wolves fans can pitch me on these deals. I like Malik Beasley. I love Jaden McDaniels. He's super interesting. He shot the three better than expected last year. He's multi-positional. Are either of them starters for this season's Wolves teams as of now? I think Jaden McDaniels probably is. And maybe at the three, by the way. Maybe at Correct. the three and not the four. I think Malik Beasley could be, but they might prefer to bring him off the bench. We can talk about the actual basketball team of the Minnesota Timberwolves. But I just don't see that as a realistic offer for Ben Simmons, at least in a in in a two-team construction and maybe not even in a three-team construction.
1: Yeah, and I I think that here's where the Wolves um react right now, at least, to... The Sixers wanting more is they say, okay, go find it. Then where, who else is coming to the table? Now I know there are some other teams that are sniffing around and that cert- that are certainly interested, but the market for Ben Simmons right now is not such where the Sixers are commanding All Star caliber starting players to come in. There, it does not seem like that is there right now for them. And so you know the Wolves are, would say to the rights to Ricky Sanchez people. Oh, this is the best you might get, or, or certainly, at least from us, that's the best you're going to get. And I, I, I think I did see, correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, I think the, the rights to Ricky Sanchez guys may be kind of getting a little impatient here. And I, 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 Mike O'Connor might have written a story that's basically saying, let's take whatever we can get for him. And that's what the Wolves want to see happen with Joel Embiid once camp begins. And he's getting asked all these questions about Ben Simmons with Doc Rivers. And he's getting asked all these questions about Ben Simmons. Like, there's always the idea that an organization can say, yeah, we're going to ride this out. You know, we don't have to do anything, but it changes once the bullets start flying. And that's certainly changed for Houston Rockets, changed for the, the Timberwolves, and the Timberwolves are hoping that it changes for the Sixers as well.
0: I mean, the Rockets still got a boatload for James Harden. Well, and Harden's was, way, you know, way,
1: way better, right? Just like
0: he's he's a way better he was, he was trying to sort of I, i'm not going to say sabotage their team but he was not let's say all in on the 2021 yeah. Houston Rockets yeah. and he is he is he is way better a, a better much better player right now than Ben Simmons is um i think there's skepticism within the Sixers that Ben Simmons is actually going to forfeit his 2122 salary in the first year of a deal or the second i guess the second year of a deal whatever it is he's got 4 years left on his contract i think there's some skepticism about that but yeah, you know this probably changes the equation a little bit. We'll see. I love the idea of Simmons and Towns together. I think that's a pairing that makes a lot of sense for obvious reasons. Simmons and Edwards, I think, I think anything at Edwards will take time. Any any ball-dominant perimeter player plus Edwards, I think will take time. That's the nature of a 20-year-old guy who, frankly, flashed some really interesting borderline star potential with the ball in the last 20 games of last season. Can we do you have any
1: parting Simmons thoughts or can we transition to like the actual Minnesota Timberwolves as they exist now? I would just say really quickly, you know, I have gotten questions from Timberwolves fans like do we really want Simmons? Like what why why are the Timberwolves so in on him? And I do think it's the pairing with Towns as a floor spacing big. Also, I do think with Edwards, they see a, a scenario where it's Edwards and Towns as the fulcrum of the offense late and sit where Philly ran into trouble with Simmons was when they needed more out of Simmons offensively late in fourth quarters. And this way with this construction, he would not be relied upon to do that. And so he could be more effective for the Timberwolves in that kind of a role than he was for the Sixers as the Robin, to, uh, to Embiid's Batman from an, from an offensive standpoint. And that's why you are hearing the Wolves be so aggressive in this and try and figure out a way where other teams might be more dipping their toes into the water a little bit.
0: I remember Robin coming coming up clutch when Batman needed him. I remember Robin, Robin really stepping up to the play. I never liked Robin's outfit. Didn't like Robin's outfits. Didn't like Robin's color scheme. Didn't really like the whole idea of Robin. Didn't like the Christopher Nolan origin story for Rob- Robin. But I do think he came up clutch when it mattered. Let's talk about the actual <laughs> Timberwolves. Who, by the way, the uh, good transition about Ben Simmons and how he would fit – they do have one of the most creative offensive coaches in the NBA in Chris Finch. And their offense went whew, right up towards league average when Chris Finch took over. They shot a lot more threes. They became a lot more modern. We know that he loves to invert the floor with his big men distributing and all that stuff from, from the elbows. Great offensive coach. And for, by the way, for the Minnesota Timberwolves league average offense, you throw a party. If you're, if you're league average in anything for the Timberwolves like since 2004. Um, so... Let's pretend Ben Simmons just doesn't go there. This was already, you know, as I'm doing my 30-team depth depth charts for all 30 teams and projecting rotations, this was immediately apparent to me as, particularly after the acquisition of Patrick Beverly, this was immediately apparent to me as one of the most interesting teams in the league. There's a lot of meat on the bone. There's a lot of stuff to analyze here, in part because after missing on Jarrett Culver, trading a pick to the Warriors in the Russell deal— so that's two straight lottery tickets that you lit on fire. There's a lot of pressure on this team to get into the play-in tournament this year. Or at least, you know, if the play-in tournament ends up being hard to get into, at least be in that race toward the end. There's just a lot going on here. There's a lot of different... You could you could throw out five different potential starting fives for this group, and I would say any of those could be in play. I have my guess as to what it will be on opening night, but it's really just an educated guess. Um What's interesting, let's just zoom way out. What's, again, leave Simmons aside, what's the biggest on-court question you have for these guys? What's the thing day one that you're going to be like, I wanna, I'm want. I'm. watching the game with this in mind?
1: Yeah, I think that they really have to figure out the power forward position and what they're going to do there now. Obviously, they, that's one of the reasons they've been going after Simmons. Maybe he could be a pseudo Draymond Green type of a, a situation. But if they don't have him, then it's looking like most likely Jared Vanderbilt as your starting power forward. Now he's a rebounding machine, super productive on the glass that way, but he's a little bit undersized. He doesn't give them a lot of rim protection and they need someone next to Carl Anthony Towns to help. They get crushed on the, on the boards. And and that has been a huge problem for they them. Were, I believe
0: they were third I, I believe they were th- Their First of all, their defense was a disaster. And yes. It was particularly disastrous when Chris, after Chris Finch took over, and I don't think that has anything to do with Chris Finch. I think, unfortunately, it has to do somewhat with the fact that all three of the Wolves' best offensive players were healthy and available for some or all of that stretch, and their defense went completely down the tubes. And as you mentioned, I think they were twenty ninth or thirtieth in defensive rebounding in that in that stretch.
1: They were, and and they were twenty ninth in in defense and uh, defensive efficiency. So I mean, they were hemorrhaging points the whole time. And um, Chris Finch certainly got the offense humming and in part because he actually had Towns and Russell and Edwards all together. Ryan Saunders never really had that in his time here, but he certainly organized the offense and did well, but they just get hammered on the glass. They cannot finish possessions defensively. And so they're constantly giving up second chance points, uh, more bites at the apple. And they didn't really address power forward at all in the off season. They re-signed Jared Vanderbilt on a, on a, a, a very modest contract. He was sneakily like plus 3.9 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor, according to cleaning the glass. So he's very active. He's a, he's a good defensive minded guy. He can guard multiple positions, but when you're looking at, you know, what are they going to do to mitigate that issue next to towns when you want towns out near the perimeter shooting threes and, and, and doing things like that, that's, that's where you kind of got to figure it out. They, they tried Jaden McDaniels at the four. They've, they've gone small with him sometimes, but they, I think ideally they want him at the three long Um, but they don't really have a good option at that, at that four spot unless Vanderbilt just turns into Dennis Rodman and, and, and really kind of changes things up that way. So that's going to be the big question going in because they're pretty set. Russell Edwards, McDaniels or Beasley, and then towns at the five. um, you know, the, that, that's the one question mark that they have in this lineup going into the season.
0: Look, every team is, to some degree, is trying to answer the same equation, which is, how do we put enough shooting on the floor without compromising our defense or flip it around when your defense is 29th in the NBA for, for I don't know if I think they were 26 for the season or something, yep. how can we get enough good defenders on the floor without torpedoing our offense? And when you have one of the greatest stretch bigs in NBA history in Carl Townsend, that's what Carl Towns is. He's like the, he might be the most versatile scoring big man ever in the NBA. You do have a certain leeway in terms of putting non shooters elsewhere. To that point, Jared Vanderbilt made one, three last season. <laughs> yeah. And I mentioned before, if you asked me to predict, they're starting five. Minnesota starting five. My first when I first did their depth chart like two weeks ago. Here's what I had: Beverly, Russell, mm. Edwards, Beverly. This is this is two weeks ago, John. It's outdated. Okay, this is <laughs> okay. going to be showing my evolution. Beverly, Russell, Edwards, Torian Prince, and Cat. Because I'm just thought okay they'll go all shooting. They traded for Beverly to start and and be their defensive you know bulldog at the point of attack. I think that's out. I think, that, I think two of those three answer, two of those five answers are wrong. I think Beverly and Prince are wrong. If you ask me right now to predict their starting five, here's where I'm going. D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt, Carl Anthony Towns. I think they're going to try to go defense, toughness in the starting five. And between McDaniels, who shot it decently last year on middling volume, Vanderbilt and Edwards, who was 33% on high volume but got better, I don't know that they have enough shooting uh, in that lineup. And I don't know if Vanderbilt and McDaniels do enough to offset the defensive weakness of Russell, Edwards, Towns. I just think the for the Wolves, their personnel is so weird that this offense-defense balancing act is sort of more tricky and urgent for them than for other teams. Like every guy you plug in... It's like Josh Okogie, okay, he doesn't really shoot at all. That hurts. Torian Prince, he shoots, but he's, at the four, he's a problem defensively. At the three, he's a problem defensively. Okay, Beverly, okay, well, you know, his offense is just There's just so many of these, like, guys that have glaring holes that Chris Finch's balancing act is going to be really tricky. But what do you think of my D'Lo, Edwards, uh,
1: McDaniels, Vando, Cat prediction? I, I like it. Um, I think that's the way that I would lean as well because I think that, like you said— one of the big problems of this roster construction is there's too many one way players. You have, you know, Vanderbilt, a guys like this, who are all defense all the time and can't really do anything offensively, or you have Russell Edwards, you know, towns to a degree who are all offense and don't bring a whole lot defensively. So trying to balance that out is really hard. I think they believe that Jaden McDaniels can be one of the few two true two way players on their roster. And so he fits. I don't that. disagree. Dude, by that. the way, I yeah, like I, I like him. I like yep. him very much. I don't disagree. And people have been raving about his offseason and the summer and what and, and the strides that he's making. So, um, so that's why I like Dick McDaniel's at the three. Then you bring Beasley off the bench, who is another one way player, all offense. But at least you get some buckets coming off of that bench in in a pseudo Lou Williams type role. He doesn't make plays off the dribble, but he shoots um, and he can and he can score with that second unit. You have Beverly attached to him to help defensively. One thing that is interesting is that Finch does really like to play D'Angelo Russell off the ball. So your initial inclination of Patrick Beverly and Russell starting is not a bad one. Uh, He did it with Jordan McLaughlin. He did it with Ricky Rubio and Russell. He likes that. So I think you could see him finishing that way because Finch has said that he likes to finish smaller um, and start bigger. And so you could see Beverly and Russell together. You could see Beasley out there at times. You could see McDaniels at the four instead of the three and things like that. And he's going to play around with that. But as far as an initial starting lineup, I do like the one that you came up with. And really, like what this all comes down to, Zach, is what are you getting from Carl Anthony Towns? Like, Is he really going to be a transcendent offensive player like he is capable of? or over the last couple of years, he dealt with injuries, he dealt with the death of his mother and others from COVID. He hasn't really concentrated on hoops. Is he is he gonna be back into form a little bit, of back, more, back more focused? If you have that, then that lineup works a lot better and, and they have actually a chance to be in that playing conversation.
0: First of all, I wanna start bigger and finish smaller. Just sounds inappropriate on some level. <laughs> sounds dirty on some level. I, I, I don't, Come we on, gotta get dude. better terminology than that. <laughs> <laughs> second of all, second of all, um I we're obviously going to see Beverly and Russell together a lot whether they mm-hmm. start or finish. I mean, that's a pairing that makes a lot of sense. This is why teams with ball dominant players are always trying to get guys like Patrick Beverly because he can defend point guards and doesn't effectively play point guard on offense. He's like a 2. Um and I love what you said about Towns because This is a huge year for Carl Anthony Towns. I I just called him maybe the most versatile offensive big man in the NBA. I just don't think he should be this bad defensively. His first month in the NBA, he looked like he was going to be a pretty damn solid defensive big man. And just the footwork, the effort, the attention to detail, the boxing out just hasn't been there. And to me, I, I think I said this last year, Carl Anthony Towns and the Wolves are mutually in danger of being in the same kind of position as the Pelicans were with Anthony Davis, and the same position Anthony Davis was with the Pelicans. When you have some people starting to wonder, is this guy a winning a winning player? Like, why? And I I never agreed with that. By the way, I was always like Anthony Davis is amazing, blah blah. And then he goes to a new situation, and the situation's better, and everyone's like, oh my god, Anthony Davis is awesome. That's the that's like. That scenario is one of many that are in play for Carl Anthony Towns. Like, if he goes to a better place, people are going to be like, oh my god, with better talent around him, it turns out Carl Anthony Towns is amazing. He's amazing now, but he's got to get amazing or something close to average or above average at the things that he hasn't put as much of his game into. And so to me... I think Carl anthony Towns should be a top 10 player in the NBA soon, if not now. Like, he's that talented. I mean, top 10 is hard to crack right now, but you know what I mean. A, a candidate for first or second team All-NBA, and not a guy that you're like, should I put him on third team? I don't know. His team stinks. Okay, I'll put Rudy Gobert. Like, I think he's that good. It's, and it's time now, this season, with this amount of pressure on the line, it's time for that Carl anthony Towns to show up.
1: Listen, let's just be honest about it. People have forgotten about Carl Anthony Townsend for good reason. He's been surpassed by Joel Embiid. He's been surpassed by Nikola Jokic. Like he was in that group of young unicorn bigs that were kind of taking over the league. And then, you know, he was super healthy early. He had the all star year with Jimmy. Um, then things blew up, and then he got injured. And he only played 35 games um, in 2019-20. And remember, though, at the start of 2019-20, Zach, the first 18 games of the year, the Wolves went 10-8. and And Carl Anthony Towns was leading a, a, a lineup with Andrew Wiggins, Robert Covington, Trevion Graham, and Jeff Teague. And he was going 26.3, 12.6 boards, 4.1 assists, shooting 44% from three on 8.9 attempts per game, 51% from the field all the way. He was unbelievable in that stretch. And then he got hurt, and then everything fell apart. Last year, obviously understandable. Lost his mother. It was heartbreaking. He just has not picked up a basketball in the offseason the last couple of years. And I think he's regressed, both you know, from his standing in the league and especially defensively. And so coming into this year, people who have talked to him say he is much more focused. He's got a clearer head. And so there is the potential for him to come in and have this monster offensive start to the season again. And you can, you can see a scenario in mid-November where everyone's saying, hey, we forgot about how good Carl Anthony Towns is. Look at what he's doing. Look at how he's affecting things. Um, but he's got to do it, too. Like, he's got to be out there and be committed on the defensive end. He doesn't have to be Matumbo, but he can't be his canter either. Like He's got to be somewhere in the middle and holding down and giving them some sort of backbone. And now he's got Russell, he's got Edwards, he's got McDaniels, he's got a little bit more talent around him. So maybe that the, the, the pieces are in place. But yeah, he's got to show it. There's a lot of doubters around the league about what he is capable of doing now because of how the last couple of years have went. And so he's going to go into it with people watching really closely on what, on how he looks. And they were plus
0: 5 per 100 possessions with Russell, Edwards, and Cat all on the floor. Only 300-some minutes. Dynamite offense. Those pieces fit offensively. Defensively, they were a disaster. They were just so good offensively. Look, I'm I'm relatively bullish on the Wolves as they stand now. I think Vegas has the over-under at like 33 or 34 wins. I think that might be higher than some people would have expected. But I think it's appropriate. I think this team should be in the play-in race. And if you had to lump them in a group of teams... It would be with New Orleans, Sacramento, and San Antonio, I think. And Cat, right now, may be the best. It's Cat or Zion as who's the best player out of those four teams. Cat's better than De'Aaron Fox. Cat's better than anyone on the Spurs. I think Cat, Cat, Zion's an interesting debate. I mean, Zion was just so incredible in the paint last year. But in terms of Cat's versatility, I think that's interesting. Like, I don't see any reason... The Wolves have all these questions, they have all these weird players, they have all these one way players, as you said. I don't see why they can't be as good as Sacramento. I think they should be better than San Antonio. Like I think if you I, I think they they have a shot. I don't know. I haven't sat down and ranked the teams, but like I don't see any reason why they can't be tenth in the West or ninth or tenth, eleventh, something like that. Like they should be right in the thick of that until the end. I don't think that I think this is a solid team, honestly.
1: I'll tell you, Zach. I've covered this team for sixteen years now, seventeen almost. I'll tell you the reason why. Because it never works out for them. It always something always goes wrong. And so either there's a major injury, either someone gets upset and requests a trade. Um, you know, a coach get, doesn't doesn't do the right things and gets fired. Throughout the history of this organization, it's always gone toward the worst case scenario. But I agree with you, Zach. If they somehow get it to a point where um things work out these guys stay healthy they stay together it all works out that way they should be in in the running in the for the playoffs i I, for the playing tournament i don't think that is unreasonable to expect when you look at edwards russell towns um mcdaniels like beverly they have enough pieces when you start to go piece by piece and compare with each other team they're going to be in the running for, they should be in that mix. And I can guarantee you they are expected to be in that mix with the ownership changes and everything. There's a lot of pressure on these guys going into this year.
0: They have okay depth too. Like, I think is going to come off the bench for them. He's he's he was a, a decent starter for them last year. A Nas Reed is a really good backup five. Mm-hmm. They'll some they'll find a way to split the backup three, four minutes among the Prince, McDaniels, Vanderbilt. Like, one of the starters they can stagger Edwards, Russell, and Town. So, one or maybe two even are on the floor at all times. Like, I, I think I think this is a solid team anyway. Um, we'll see what who's actually on the team <laughs> in, in a month or so, but. John Krasinski, there, there aren't many guys covering a team with the depth and quality uh, that you are doing at the Athletic. I, I really appreciate your time. I hope to run into you. I hope to run into everyone on the beat somewhere this year, if if the world allows. But it's good to see your smiling face virtually, my friend.
1: Great to have, be here, Zach. Thanks for having me. You know, I think the world of you and your work as well. Um, and I hope to see you around the around the bend somewhere in some city. Uh, maybe not Minneapolis in January, but uh, we'll find a way to, to cross paths.